0: From the studios of KPFA in Berkeley, California, it's Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Mike Biggs. Today on the program, we're proud to present the latest episode of the Electronic Intifada
1: podcast with host and producer Nora Barrows-Friedman. All this straight ahead on Flashpoints.
2: Stay tuned.
0: And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. On today's program, we are proud to present the latest episode of the Electronic Intifada podcast with host and producer Nora Barrels-Friedman. Listen to this.
3: You, you're going to need people, like not, not me, all of us, to keep the idea alive. You, you, you can't concede your entire vision for liberation before you even want anything. You know, I'm th- philosophically, fine. Morally, fine. I'm talking strategically what what's going to be there to survive in the end it's the idea it's the dream we have of what what palestine is capable of of looking like
0: the electronic intifada the electronic
2: intifada
3: the electronic intifada
2: this is the electronic intifada podcast Today on the podcast, we're thrilled to be joined by Steven Salaita, writer, essayist, and recovering academic, and The Electronic Intifada's Ali Abunima. We're having them on to talk about the phenomenon of what Steve calls Muslim Zionists, uh, you know, organizations and their staff that purport to represent Muslim Americans, but work closely with Israel lobby organizations to undermine and silence Palestinian rights advocates and the careerist media professionals who defend them. Let's get right into it. Ali, um, give us some background here. Talk about what you've been reporting on for the past month uh, about Engage, uh, an organization that aims to position itself as, quote, the main civic organization for Muslim American communities, but has overt ties to major Israel lobby groups, including AIPAC, the Anti Defamation League, and the American Jewish Committee.
0: Yeah, so uh, just well, about a month and a half ago on September 9th, um, we published an article at the Electronic Intifada, um, which was about engage, that's uh, engage with an M. Uh, which is this uh, sort of Muslim American organization that, that we'd been seeing, I'd i been noticing its name everywhere all of a sudden, and it had gained a lot of uh, a purchase with the Biden campaign. Its longtime board member, Farouk Mitha, was appointed as Biden's so-called uh, Muslim engagement advisor. And by the way, that was a reprise of a role he had Played uh, for Hillary Clinton in 2016, and we all know how that story went. Um, But uh, what was so interesting is that um, I started to hear murmurings that you know Engage is not representing the Muslim community, if you can even talk of such a a community uh, when there's so so many so much diversity in it. Uh, but was really acting as a gatekeeper. And there was a really powerful piece by a lawyer and activist in Florida called Nadia Ahmed. And she really talked, she used this really rich phrase for Farooq Mita, she called, this is a term I learned, uh, Punkawala, which is the term for the Indian natives who during British colonial times in India would would turn the fan, you know, the hand-operated fan to keep the British colonial masters cool. So this was the term that uh, Nadia Ahmed used for Farouk Mittah. But the angle that my report uh, took was really looking at uh, Engage's close ties to Israel lobby groups. You mentioned some of them. There's the Anti-Defamation League. Uh, which Steve Salaita, uh, and and by the way, hi Steve, I, sh- I should have uh, <laughs> greeted you earlier, accurately <laughs> identified in one of his books as a as a hate group. Um, so the ADL, APAC, the American Jewish Committee, you know, engaged leaders have a whole thick web of relationships with these groups, and then uh, particularly something called the Muslim Leadership Initiative. Now, this, what is the Muslim Leadership Initiative? This is a junket where they take so-called up-and-coming Muslim leaders to, on, on these all-expenses-paid all trip, trips to Israel, and they give them these fellowships, and they do the standard Hasbara propaganda tour. Um, the Muslim Leadership Initiative is run by something called the Shalom Hartman Institute, which has very close ties with the Israeli Army. In fact, it was the Israeli Army's contractor for doing um, uh, education, for the IDF Education Corps, for tra- you know training the soldiers in whatever values they uh, abide by when they're going out and shooting kids in Gaza. Uh, and it's funded by something called the Russell Berry Foundation, which is the the same funder as some of the most Islamophobic people and organizations in the United States, people like Richard Spencer, Daniel Pipes, Stephen Emerson, and so on. That's who funds the Muslim Leadership Initiative. And so, and Gage is also very, you know, all their leaders or or many of, uh, several of their top leaders, their their board co-chairs have gone on this. So the article opened the floodgates you know, all the criticism that had been bubbling under the surface came out into the open. There was uh, sort of a grassroots call. More than 200 Palestinian and Muslim American activists signed the Drop Engage letter, calling on Muslim and community organizations to end ties with Engage. Um, the U.S. Council on Muslim Organizations started a process with Engage uh, that went on for a month to get them to uh, end their uh, relationships with these anti-Palestinian Zionist Israel lobby groups. Did I use enough adjectives there? Uh, I could add more, but I think that gets the message across. Uh, So, uh, and, and Gage ultimately refused. They chose their ties with the Israel lobby groups over their membership of the U.S. Council for Muslim of Muslim organizations and were expelled. But what we've seen uh, over the past few weeks, over the past month, is that, you know, there's sort of been kind of a lot of this, a lot of this that was under the surface is coming into the open. And so I think we've seen a lot more uh, of the kinds of attacks on Palestinians that, that have always come from some of these groups. Uh, where Palestinians are seen as spoilers, or they're seen as quote-unquote purist, or they're seen as, uh, you know, uh, Palestine is really just an inconvenience for these people who want to, um, ultimately their goal is to be invited to a White House iftar if there ever is one again. So that's, that's just kind of what's been going on for the past month, and um, I think it's going to continue, uh, especially if Biden wins the election and, you know, Engage tries to c- claim credit for that and some of its principals try to seek, you know, positions in, uh, in the administration. I should mention, and I think this is very important, that Farouk Mitha, the longtime uh, Engage board member and, in fact, Engage's official address is a travel lodge motel owned by Farouk Mitter and his father in Lakeland, Florida. Um, so Farouk Mitta is a former lowly, albeit lowly, but a former Pentagon official. And um, uh, Wa'il Zayat, the CEO of Engage, is a former State Department official who worked in various sort of regime change and colonial administration projects under, uh, definitely under the Obama administration. I'm not sure if he spanned uh, into the Bush administration as well. But that's that's kind of like a, a little background.
2: So, Steve, you wrote a piece on your website this week called The Muslim Zionists. Uh, you dive into a few high-profile media professionals who have risen in the ranks of corporate media, due to their left punching and cozying up to anti-Palestinian groups. Can you talk about this phenomenon and what happened recently that led you to write this piece?
3: Yeah, sure. It's 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 nice to see you all again. Thank you so much for for having me on. I, I, I don't really know that I can add anything useful to what Ali just said. Um, that was a really good rundown and overview of of I guess the the phenomenon that we're dealing with, which can be really confusing to people, because um, I think on the surface it 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 doesn't really make sense. Why are these supposedly um, pro-Palestine groups or pro-Palestine groups in name uh, undertaking all of these dubious alliances? But um, you know, you you have to put it in the context, as as I've tried to do of of upward mobility within corporate media in the United States and what upward mobility demands, what the aspirant to representation in in corporate media needs to focus on and and needs to ignore in order to get that platform. So I, I was kind of focused on Maybe, you know, maybe what you'd call the most notorious of the original MLI cohort that um, I believe in 2014 took a junket to, to Israel. This is um, just before the Gaza massacre. And so from the point of view of the Shalom Hartman Institute, it was it was excellent timing. So they had a uh, they had a groundwork of, of of pundits who could sort of step in and supersede the very legitimate anger that was coming out of the Palestinian and Arab and Muslim American communities and say, well, you know, um, we need to look at both sides, you know, they, they were kind of a moderating force and a moderating voice, but I, I you know, along with lots of other people, I'm, I'm very late to this um, to this debate and to this conversation. You know, Ali has been uh, writing about the the MLI and Shalom Hartman for a long time. Every, a lot of folks at, at uh, the Intifada have, Electronic Intifada. Um, you know, Sana Saeed has been, you know, uh, uh, criticizing it for for six years now. So a lot of people have really put in the work. I, I, I came late, and what what drew me into it, really, um, if I can speak frankly, was that uh, one of its uh, most prominent uh, affiliates, uh, Wajahat Ali, um, who who has a, a column, or you know, or is a contributing writer for the New York Times. Uh, Accused me of peddling anti-Semitic conspiracy theories on Twitter, and you know, I I I don't tolerate that. I don't think any of us should tolerate that. Um, I I kind of put out a call on Twitter, which is is something I, I normally don't like to do for, you know, the the pro-Palestine community, not just people of Palestinian origin, but the pro-Palestine community, the pro-justice community, to to sort of rally around because I thought it was a really important moment that that we need to set some boundaries. You know, we can't have these um, social climbers uh, uh, laying out these kinds of accusations against us, whether we like one another or not, right? Whether uh, we're in community or, or not, whatever. It's, it's a matter of principle that if we let people get away with making these kinds of claims, then the entire community, beyond our community, in fact, uh, the Jewish American community, uh, you know, justice communities all over the United States, end up in serious trouble we we end up uh we end up facing significant material harm um i I don't want to be self-referential to you know more than than i need to be but um you know it was a false or a series of false accusations of anti-semitism that got me booted out of academe six years ago so that hits deep for me it hits deep on a personal level but i also understand the political utility of of squashing that kind of, of discourse when, when the opportunity presents itself, because uh, it, it, to be called as a Palestinian or an American of Palestinian origin, to be called anti-Semitic isn't simply to be victim of a disagreement or, or a poorly thought out opinion. It, it feels like your life is being taken away from you. I know that sounds dramatic, but that's what it is. That you're not going to be able to eat anymore, that you're not going to be able to live, that you can't breathe anymore, that that they are telling you we're sort of expunging you from the realm of, of humanity and you have no place to go now. You are a racist, you are beneath us, and our, our struggle was already difficult enough in the United States. So I got upset. Um, you know, I think justifiably so. And then when people saw what what Ali Wajahat Ali, I don't want any confusion here. <laughs> when they saw what what he was up to, starting with Ali Awunima, um, you know, uh, sort of sort of took up that battle and and really went after him because it's 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 part and part. Of these false accusations of anti semitism are part and parcel of a broader Zionist project of. Delegitimizing our voices, of, of taking our, you know, our, our pain, of taking our, uh, our opposition to Zionist ethnic cleansing, right? or taking our, our, really our expressions of, of humanity and transforming them into something inhuman. And it gave lie to every single justification that those MLA folks have made that they're just seeking dialogue, right? That they're just trying to learn about uh, Jewish culture or Israeli culture, that they're fundamentally innocuous. No, once you go in with that kind of accusation against people and doing it with such a sneering tone, that makes it crystal clear what you're really up to. And the bottom line, the ultimate goal is the destruction of any meaningful anti-zionist organizing inside and beyond the united states that's that's how i felt about it anyhow
2: yeah
1: um steve your um article the article that you wrote on your website was titled the muslim zionists and the it's a great title and the line from it that struck me uh the most was the following muslim zionist speech marks only sounds contradictory because we're conditioned to understand Zionism as an ethnic characteristic. In reality, Zionism is more than anything a political ideology beyond the domain of any specific religious group. Um, you've, you've brought up the word Zionism already several times. Could you talk maybe a little bit about why it's important to identify the ideology behind this the Palestinian plight, I suppose.
3: Yeah, sure. They, what groups like you know Shalom Hartman, um, engage, etc. The 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 pretense they operate under is that Israel Palestine the conflict, what whatever bowdlerized term you want to use to describe it, is fundamentally a, a, a matter of religious or ethnic or national misunderstanding. And so that's the pretense, and by putting forward that pretense, they remove the more important approach of understanding disparities of power, understanding where Israel is situated in a global paradigm of imperialism and militarism, where Palestine is situated among the dispossessed, among the the wretched of the earth, in in Fanon's um, evocative phrase. It's never been a matter of putting Jews and Muslims and, and Christians into dialogue and working out a series of, of incomprehensible and complicated problems. You know, the, the problem is colonization, ethnic cleansing, home demolition. Right? The, the problem is that one group wields an extraordinary and exclusive power and applies that power violently to a subjected indigenous community. That indigenous community isn't homogenous, religiously or ethnically itself. So it's a matter of, of colonization, and we have to identify the culprit, and the culprit is a political ideology called Zionism, and that political ideology is not coterminous with Jewishness, Jew- Judaism, or the Jewish people. In fact, if anything, it is coterminous with a centuries-long tradition of Western colonization. And so, when you know, when the MLI folks or engage or whomever, you know, when 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 you know they start on about uh, dialogue and and interfaith and. I saw Ali call it uh, interfake once on, on Twitter and I think that's actually at but I remember back when I was in, in, in college. Um, you know, this this is a long time ago. I don't know if, if video is gonna go up, but you know, I'm old, right? You know, I'm 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 bald, i you know, I don't even shave anymore, right? Lena. So when back in college I remember the, the Hillel, you know, on campus at the University of Oklahoma you know a few decades ago you know they they reached out to the Arab student group they reached out to the Muslim student association they wanted to have a dialogue and even back then you know i recognized that this is a kind of appropriation that uh, a lack of dialogue wasn't the problem that you know none of us had any fundamental problem you know with 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 the fact that anybody was was jewish or anything else that and so it's an old technique it's an appropriation it's it's a way of transforming or you know transforming the conversation from one that operates around an understanding of power and militarism and colonization in, into one that sort of treats all parties equally as having equal claim to a solution and as as being in need of of some kind of esoteric understanding of 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 the other that heretofore hadn't existed which is completely historical and stupid politically you know to 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 boot so you know, th- th- this is why I think it's important to focus on Zionism. People don't like that word in the mainstream of the United States, even on the the so-called pro-Palestine left. Uh, people, you know, or some people will go out of their way not to use that term. I think that term is absolutely essential, that we need to name it as a political ideology. We need to name it as the essential motor of this so-called conflict. And it is, in the end, Right. the usurpation or dissipation of zionism that will allow peace to come into existence not dialogue right? we've had plenty of dialogue we've had plenty of interfaith it's 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 not a matter of, you want interfaith you go back to palestine before zionism ever became a thing that is is your model of of interfaith not not some badleride's nonsense that that's put together you know and, and focused group to death by democratic Astroturf communities. Can,
0: can I just uh, add, and, and that was like that—that that was uh, beautifully put. Um, but just uh, another term that uh, that has become current is faith washing, and I think it's a useful term. Um, and I believe it was Sana Saeed who first uh, wrote about um, MLI, the Muslim Leadership Initiative as a faith-washing initiative, Um, and that gets to a bigger phenomenon of what Steve is talking about that's still going on on college campuses all over um, the country, and it's a favorite tactic of Zionist groups, of Israel lobby groups, to try to disguise the question of Palestine as a religious misunderstanding. And Because if, if we yeah. talk about what it really is, which is violent settler colonialism, where a, grou- a group of settlers backed by the United States, backed by European states, is violently removing indigenous Palestinians from their land in order to, to colonize it, well, that, that's not a very good narrative if you're a supporter of Israel. So the, 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 the interfaith narrative is a great way of covering this up but it also has real practical benefits from a Zionist point of view because it's a mechanism to to bring in and co-opt potential critics. So I've seen it used a lot with Christian groups and it was always used uh, as a way to silence Christian, uh, you know, sort of church activism-based uh, solidarity with Palestine. It was particularly used in efforts to crush church divestment initiatives where Israel lobby groups, which are um, you know some of the some of the big uh, Jewish communal groups in the US which are very pro-Israel groups like the American Jewish Committee, the ADL and others, would approach these uh, church groups and say, well, you know, if you take this position on Palestine or if you support divestment, that harms Christian Jewish, relations. And is that what you really want to do, given the history of Christianity with Judaism? Do you really want to harm Christian-Jewish relations? So uh, Christian-Jewish interfaith dialogue became a way for Israel lobby groups to bully and blackmail uh, uh, Christian activists into silence over Palestine and i'm I'm certainly not suggest- I, I note how I said Christian activists because I don't want to minimize the complicity of church hierarchies and church leaderships, which were all too willing to go along with this uh, and I've seen this in in uh, in Chicago with some of the big theological seminaries that are based here where they go along with these dialogues. but with that experience, the Israel lobby groups have also Uh, also said, well, why not do this with Muslims as well? And lo and behold, they found that there were people willing to go along with it. And that's where the Muslim Leadership Initiative comes in and where uh, you can get people like Wajahat Ali, who also, by the way, advertises himself as a State Department consultant. Whereas I would consider that an insult, he considers it a selling point. Uh, of course. You know, so you can get people like that to come along, and it serves as a career vehicle for them. It's great to put on the resume. I did this thing with the American Jewish Committee or with the ADL or with the Muslim Leadership Initiative. It immediately buys you mainstream credibility. It shows you're safe. You're not going to say anything crazy about Palestine. Um but it's, it's also a way to build networks of co-optation, uh, networks that can be used to disseminate propaganda, to get talking points out, uh, and also to divide communities. And that's exactly what Engage has been doing uh, in the context of... I know you're not big on, uh, on electoral politics, Steve, and, uh, and, and I, uh, but, you know, there are people who who engage in that in good faith at the grassroots and who uh, want to try as best as they can to push for issues they care about through the electoral system. And groups like Engage come along and basically undercut them. They say, they'll go to politicians and say, you want an endorsement from a Muslim group? We'll give you one. All we want is to be Mm -hmm. photographed with you to have you come and speak at our event, we're not gonna make any substantive demands. And so that undercuts the people who are trying in good faith to use the electoral system to the extent possible to actually pressure politicians and hold them accountable.
2: Yeah, Um, speaking of electoral politics, Steve, you you write that MLI uh, was the test run, and you urge your readers to keep an eye on how the project of chaining leadership to electoralism develops. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of how the the Democratic Party itself and Joe Biden and the you know the the Muslim organizations working hand in hand with with the Biden campaign. Um, what their aims are and and if Biden is elected and these organizations, um, you know, the, the leadership in these organizations who do have ties with the State Department and Israel lobby organizations get elevated to some sort of cabinet position, like what that means for uh, Palestinians um, and and the, and the struggle.
3: I don't know how much, um, you know, I, I could really speak strategically to, to how people want to conduct their activism, especially within and around the Democratic Party. And I, I certainly have no hope or faith in, in Joe Biden to, to do anything but continue business as normal for, you know, for the Democratic Party, especially in its uh, centrist incarnation. I'm really holding to uh, what I would maybe call an informed skepticism, about the utility of the Democratic Party writ large as a vehicle for any sort of, of liberation, much less, you know, Palestinian liberation, that I've seen over, over and over again. Um, somebody needs to do a compendium of all the times that party leaders and high-profile candidates have tossed Palestinians under the bus. And how civic organizations that are supposed to know better have, uh, at least to some extent, gone along with it or co-signed it, and it gets extraordinarily frustrating. The Democratic Party, in my mind, is not uh, effective at contesting uh, Republicans. I think their their class interests, by and large, are too closely aligned. You know, I, I think that uh, they 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 don't push for a set of politics or policies that are popular at their grassroots in the way that a lot of republican leaders do it's a problem what i think the democratic party is very good at however is corralling popular leftist energy putting it under you know the the rubric of its um of its machinery and defanging it of any radical or, or revolutionary potential. The democratic party apparatus um, you know, has, has always operated in, in such a way as to de- divest grassroots movements of, of anything that, that might ultimately threaten the, the status quo. And we see it with Palestine over and over again. So as the issue of Palestine has gotten more legible you know uh more popular among people who identify as left or even people who identify as liberal right um you know the the you know the opinion po- polls show over and over again that that people are uh, look more favorably towards the palestinians than the israelis even among centrist democrats and so the 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 move then at that that point as it becomes legible is you you sort of elevate a, a leadership class and that leadership class ends up kind of of Serving or at least humoring the the interests of of donors, funders, um, you know, uh, NGOs, businesses, et, 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 et cetera, and they begin to move away. Sometimes quickly, but usually it's very slowly. They begin to to move away from uh, you know, these 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 hotly, highly contested grassroots movements that that people work decades. To put together, and that they suffered tremendously to to get off the ground. All of a sudden, they're they're being uh, sucked up into the vacuum of of Democratic Party politics, of of electoral politics. Suddenly, they're not so radical or revolutionary or even interesting anymore. And I'm seeing it with gage You know, again, I'm not involved directly. I make it clear that I'm I'm looking at these things as an observer, but the the tap dancing everybody is doing around um, the the Biden campaign, to my eye, puts Palestine at the back of the line rather than at the forefront. Right? and so everything, or a whole bunch of things, become more important than a, a, a firm commitment to to Palestinian liberation. I start to see, you know, um, all kinds of rationalizations. I, I start, you know, why, you know, I. Ali and I and, and a bunch of others were, were sort of discussing this on, on Twitter, uh, arguing and, and bickering with people. And then, you know, somebody from Palestine came in and said, you know, well, what, what, you know, they're working with Zionists. What's the problem? You know, and, and then it just hit me. It's like, that's it. That's what we need to get back to. Why in the hell in a supposedly anti-Zionist community is it in any way an issue of debate right? the, to be working with, with Zionist groups. No, we don't work with Zionist groups. Right? Why, are we having this, why are we having this conversation? What, what what has led us to this point Right, where we're, we're starting to discuss the, the utility right, of how much of, of our, our national movement we're going to throw away in order to belong into this formation right? that ultimately, not even ultimately, right now, has contempt for us. Why, why, what, why are we making this trade-off? We're not even getting anything out of it. A few people are getting elevated profiles. A few people are making nice connections, right? A few people are getting some, some nice lines on their CVs, but Palestinians aren't getting shit out of this, nothing. It's not going to put a single grain on a single person's table in the Gaza Strip, right? It's not going to remove a single window pane of a single settlement. Right. So we have to look at the the economics of, of these kinds of, of alliances. And to me, I I prefer to hold firm to an old-fashioned position. If it's a Zionist group, you don't work with it. The end. You can justify it. You can rationalize it. You might be able to say that you're going to get a good outcome out of it. But I'm willing to bet, because I've watched this for a long time, right? that whatever good outcome you get out of it right, ain't going to stay that way for long. You just wait. You look and see where you're going to end up. And most important, look and see where Palestine is going to end up, and I promise you, it's it's not going to be anywhere near the forefront of anybody's consciousness once the astroturfers are through with it.
0: I mean, one thing that uh, that uh, you you said you didn't want to, or you couldn't speak necessarily about strategy, although you just did very <laughs> eloquently, Steve. Uh, but uh, you know, if we think in strategic terms, if you look at um, what's happening in the United States on the broad left. It's very clear that uh, Palestine solidarity has become more and more a commonplace and acceptable, if not actually a required position to be considered a progressive or a leftist or, or whatever you might call it. Now you, we can argue about well we can, we can say well that hasn't really translated into any uh, material change for Palestinians in terms of U.S. policy, but if we just take that shift in itself and ask why did that happen what 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 made that possible? In my opinion, it definitely wasn't because of people having friendly words with politicians at the White House iftar or at the State Department or in um, uh, so-called interfaith initiatives while visiting Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank with the Shalom Hartman Institute. It happened because people at the grassroots... Palestinians in Palestine and uh, and around the world first and foremost, but also their allies, took the kinds of stances that Steve is talking about and stuck by them. And the ground shifted towards them, if you see what I'm saying, because they stood firm. So, you know, it used to be that, that BDS was completely uh, anathema and then uh, and then politicians started to say, well, I'm against BDS, but you know, I, I support the right to free speech and the right to engage in boycotts generally. Now we see progressive politicians in the United States starting to say, well, actually, yeah, I'm for BDS. Why not? That wasn't because people compromised on BDS. It was because they stuck to their ground. And I think it's important to paint that big picture to point out that, uh, you know, even on its own terms, the kind of uh, stuff that the, you know, the dialoguers and the White House iftar crowd, the claims they make for what they're doing a total BS. Uh, It's not those activities that actually change the political possibilities. So I, I just wanted to to, to put that there but i also wanted to i i know i'm a guest here but i so i don't know if i'm allowed to ask questions but i, 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 <laughs> I wanted to ask asa if he sees something similar going on in the uk yeah
1: well i yes the answer is definitely yes uh, on two levels um there there is um muslim faith washing initiatives um although i I haven't had the opportunity to um, really cover them or follow them as much as I would have liked, but there there is definitely uh, parallel groups with, uh, uh, which we should really look into a bit more. Um, but just in terms of um, what the the broader picture, I mean, in everything we've just been discussing, it it's there's so many parallels really with what's been going on um, in the Labour Party. In um, in the left in Britain, um, over the last five years, and it, it is kind of the thing where, um, these uh, it, it's like what you were just talking about, Ali, like the, the um, positions that people take, you know, they they, so like when we were talking before about um, Zionism, for example, yeah, it, it in the UK as well, it's 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 become increasingly you know, required to be, to at least feign, you know, feign to uh, the pretense of being <laughs> pro-Palestinian, uh, quote unquote, you know, to at least display that you are um, supportive of the Palestinians. But that hasn't yet translated to active anti-Zionism. And, you know, it, it be- there are people um, on the so-called broad left in Britain, uh, to name to name a name john landsman who wrote in a piece a few years ago that um the left should stop using the word zionism you know and that it 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 was it was part of a way to kind of ultimately to delegitimize the palestine solidarity movement really and there's you you do hear it quite a lot not not just from John Lawrence, not just from John Landsman but you do hear it on the british left that like oh well you know we shouldn't it's you're too radical you know you shouldn't um it's not clear you know the kind of whole norman Finkelstein line that, that it's, it's not a it's not a clear term because it it encompasses too many things um but i think it's just it's just important to be clear what we're talking about you know zionism is settler colonialism you know and to normalize that to normalize to normalize that reality to normalize the that 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 is just that's just a fact of history you know and a fact of current, current reality um and that line from your article that i quoted before earlier steve about um it only sounds contradictory because We've Muslim Zionist only sounds contradictory because um, too many people buy into this propaganda line that Zionism is an ethnic characteristic that it's um, that Zionism means Jewishness, which it doesn't.
0: But that's what that's what Zionists have been have been telling people. Yeah, mean that that that's that conflation is is key to to. Their effort to um, stymie criticism of Zionism as a political ideology and as a violent system that kills Palestinians and drives them off their land. If you make it uh, a personal identity, and even more so a personal identity that uh, is sort of uh, overlaps, if not completely subsumes, Judaism then uh, any criticism of Zionism can be denounced as anti-Semitism, which, of course, we know is exactly what they're trying to, to, to do. But, Asa, one of the things that uh, uh, you you reminded me of is, and, and I think this ties back to the Muslim Zionists, because if you take groups like Engage or individuals... Uh, you know, that some of the people that, that, that we've been that, that Steve writes about this article, they'll say, you know, if you criticise them. So we, we, they might say, well, how can you call me a Muslim Zionist? I criticise Israel all the time. And so the, the... and that's
1: what all the uh, Zionists of all kind in the British Labour Party have been saying, oh, well, we criticise. We criticise we criticize Israel. Right. You know, we cri- oh, we criticise Israeli governments. Yeah, so so it
0: becomes, their role becomes part of uh, uh, defining the acceptable limits of criticism and using their, you know, Muslim identity to give that some legitimacy. In other words, it's, it's, uh, someone said this very eloquently on Twitter. I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't, don't have their name to give them credit, but they kind of weaponize their Muslim identity and rely on the, uh, r- the conflation in the West between uh, Muslim, Arab, Palestinian. So, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a brown person from over there, uh, so that gives you authority to talk about Palestine, basically. And they use that. To to say well yes well we of course we criticize Israel of course we support Palestinians but this is as far as you can go, and we saw that uh, playing out also in sort of the discussion of uh, uh, over uh, I mean I can't even remember oh yeah so uh, with with all the criticism of engage that is is substantive coming from the grassroots well documented there wasn't just my uh, article in uh, for the electronic intifada, but we saw, as I mentioned, the drop engage statement. We saw articles from um, Nadia Ahmed, from uh, Hatim Fariz, who's a longtime uh, activist in Florida. We saw a 10,000 word investigation in Middle East Eye, which reflected many, many voices. Uh, And the author of that article, uh, Azad uh, Issa, actually said that those murmurings were there, but no one wanted to go on the record until after the EI article came out. Once the EI article came out, people felt free to speak and the floodgates opened. So there's this very substantive criticism. And then, of course, what happened with the U.S. Council of Muslim Organizations. But in steps Mehdi Hassan supposedly the incisive um, you know uh, no holds barred interviewer who holds the powerful to account <laughs> with this uh, really pathetic defensive engage which was not even an honest uh defensive engage where he said where he were, where he should at least come out and say yeah i stand with engage Instead, what he did was this utterly dishonest hand-wringing of, oh, how sad it is to see uh, Muslim organizations eating each other up on the eve of this super-consequential American election. And so Mehdi Hassan was engaging in another kind of face-washing, where instead of acknowledging that actually there are substantive political issues at stake here, and people trying to hold, engage accountable, people whose real interests, whose livelihoods, whose communities depend on the politics around this. He comes in with, oh, with this, frankly, Islamophobic trope that, oh, look, it's the Muslims who can't get along with each other, and painting himself as sort of the wise man sitting above it all, and, and you know, nowhere in sight is the rational Muslim. Yeah, and nowhere in sight is the Mehdi Hassan, <laughs> who is supposedly, you know, in command of all the facts, holding the powerful to account, and so on. And and I think Steve, you had criticised him. I, I know I criticised him, but you you had too. And then it, it that we saw this debate about, oh, how are you guys? Uh, accusing Mehdi Hassan of not being a, a supporter of the Palestinians when he criticizes Israel plenty or when he has these Israelis on and, and does tough interviews with them. But the point is, again, that's about using his uh, criticism of Israel to to delegitimize uh, the views of Palestinians and the critiques of Palestinians of people who are, who are who are like engage who are quite willing to, to uh, work with Israel lobby groups. So uh, that, I, I don't know where that can of worms goes, but it, it was just, those are some of the dynamics of the discussion that that unfolded.
2: Yeah, and look at Mehdi, for example, like he, you know, he's climbing the ranks. I think he has a show now on MSNBC. Um, his, you know, solid pattern of performing like he's you know a leftist or that he defends palestinian rights um it is a performance and it gets him points and then he becomes you know this like mainstream media pundit um who acts really as a as a a, you know a battering ram for the israeli lobby and for these organizations who work with the zionist groups what did you say
1: about him steve i
2: don't
3: Honestly, I don't even remember. Um, I think <laughs> that um, uh, you know, I, I retweeted some stuff, and and I feel like I got pulled into an argument. But then I, I had sent some stuff about him back in April, and and that stuff got dredged uh, up. But um, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I I would I would would just kind of co-sign what Nora and Ali are saying that, um, and and just add that. I see this happen a lot. There's a way in which there can be an aesthetic of being pro- Palestine or a discourse of of being pro- Palestine, wherein you still treat actual Palestinians with contempt. And I see that a lot. It's like you know pro- Palestine to the degree that we stay in the place that they have set aside for us. And once we begin speaking back a little too loudly, then all of a sudden, you know, we, we become an inconvenience or we become people to to, to discipline. And, and, you know, I, I'm not saying this about Mehdi per se, just a general observation, but I, I remember what it was. Uh, Mehdi said something, this is months ago, about, um, what did he say, that? He was making some nonsensical point. I don't know. I can't remember what. And then he used, well, people say the Israelis to refer to the Israel government all the time. And I very politely quote tweeted him. I said, well, you know, I've been looking at this this so-called conflict for a long time, and that's not been my impression. And then he just kind of, you know, he got pissy, man. Then, you know, he was like, well, you and your buddy Ali, you (laughs) know— Uh, you know, your buddy Ali says it all the time. And I was like, okay, man, you know, this is, you know, I'm just not going to deal with this. This is somebody who, who claims, you know, to, to be making a career, in fact, of, of, of supposedly defending Palestinians. And, and I, I notice how you treat natural people. All right. I, I pay attention to that mm-hmm. stuff. I know a lot of people, right, you know, who who or making their bona fides off of Palestine but but I see them treating Palestinians like shit on Twitter social media in general or not uh, never referencing Palestinians themselves never uh, uh, boosting the work of of Palestine I see that stuff and you know Mehdi is is in the fundamental contradiction of having to and it's not just him it's it's really that entire class of 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 media opportunists where he, he, he wants to position himself as a eternal defender of, of the Palestinians and other downtrodden people of, of the world by holding powerful figures like John Bolton to account. You know anyhow, okay, I'm not even gonna get started on that. But, but uh, you, what 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 what's the point, all right, if you're spending half your time berating people. And I use the word berating on purpose, berating people, shaming people into into voting for, for Biden and saying the election is more important than holding him engaged to account. That was his rationale, right? The election. We have an election coming it's up. It's always That's later. and will
1: always be so, held to account later,
2: later, later. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if, now's not the time. Yeah. yeah. So what,
3: <laughs> the outcome is always the, that we're empowering politicians who treat Palestinians like and the rest of the ground Chardon, like who are bombing just as many people as, as as John Bolton ever has, then what's the point? It's 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 just the performance at that point, right? Because your material politics are directly tethered to the support of people who, in practice, aren't different than John Bolton at all.
0: And you know, so the 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 term disciplining really strikes a chord with me because the thing I experience repeatedly. On social media, uh, which I mean, you know, we can debate the importance of that, but it, it, this is this is where a lot of discussion is happening, um, and it had certainly happened with the Mehdi Hassan episode. But this happens repeatedly, is you know when I make a substan- what I believe to be a substantive criticism of someone like Mehdi Hassan or, you know, countless other people. Now, you may agree with my criticism or not. That's fine. I, no one has to agree with me. But what I'm told repeatedly is, you know, basically, Ali, shut up. Don't alienate allies. And I'm told this by people who aren't Palestinian, who, you know... I don't, I don't even know who they are a lot of the time because it's social media, but it's like I mean I thought and these sometimes these are people who advertise themselves as you know supporters of Palestinian rights. Well, maybe no, rule number one is of being an ally is don't lecture the people you allege you're in, uh, you know an ally of about who their allies ought to be. Uh, you know we're never entitled to make these substantive criticisms, and I see that effort at disciplining um, uh, coming again and again. And I think it's it's worth pointing out the role that these, as you call them, Muslim Zionists. And I'm not saying everyone we've mentioned in this uh, in this uh, uh, discussion fits that label, but this this sort of this group, this cohort, the MLI people they also play a disciplining role. They play the role of the good Muslim or even the good Palestinian. Uh, and, and it's even not necessary to be Palestinian to play the role of the good Palestinian because in the US context, you can call on your Muslim or South Asian or any other Arab heritage as sufficient uh, uh, authority to speak on behalf of or about Palestinians.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I don't like uh, talking on on the fly. I like to just kind of sit down at a computer and get my words just right. And I think, you know, part of that is, is, you know, when 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 you've had your words sort of combed through, you know, or, or looked at through a fine tooth comb, you know, in, in corporate media and in courts and stuff, it's like, well, I want to choose my words very carefully. I, I don't want to be, defending this verb over that verb or whatever, you know, for, you know, for the next two weeks. But anyhow, um, plus I go off on tangents, as you notice, but um, (laughs) I, I, what, what Ali, what all of you are really saying uh, resonates with me. And it's just, sometimes you have to focus on keeping the idea of, Liberation alive. That's a, a a phrase I kind of stumbled into last year in 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 a, a piece that I wrote, and and it's something that I've really clung to. That people don't generally react favorably when you do, but amid all of this, in a system that that is constructed to dehumanize, in a, you know to disappear us, sometimes you you have to hold that line. You know, you have to have people in in your community who do it, and it's it's often a, a thankless task, and you know, often not though, right? Often it's 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 a it's a task that puts you in community with other people. But I, I'm I've always been really sensitive when people come at me in the in the way that that Ali is describing, you know, as a wrecker or as a hater or just as a crank or as self righteous or this and that. Okay, you know, I'll I'll, I'll cop to being all of those things sometimes, you know, I'm not always at, at my best and I fly off the handle, you know, too easily sometimes. And then I get agitated too easily, but in the end, you know, you, you're going to need people, right, not, not me, all of us to keep the idea alive. You, you, you can't concede your entire vision for liberation before you even want anything, you know, I'm th- you know philosophically fine, morally fine. I'm talking strategically. You know what what's going to be there to survive in the end? It's the idea, it's the dream we have of what what Palestine is capable of of looking like, and you, you don't concede it. And so I would really ask people, you know, you don't have to to agree with what your colleagues and peers and certainly your enemies are are, are saying, but you know, take a step back and really consider you know what people are saying.
2: Thank you, Steve. Uh, Steve Saleta, you can read his latest blog post that we are talking about today um, on his website, which is stevesaleta.com. That's spelled S T E V E S A L A I T A.com. And we'll also link to it, of course, on the Electronic and Defada podcast uh, blog post that accompanies this. Steve and Ali, of course, uh, thank you so much for this incredible discussion and for being with us on the Electronic and Photo podcast.
0: It was a thank free. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. And thanks, Nora and Asa.